Reading from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. So Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favour and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. May the Lord bless our understanding of that. Thanks, Margaret. Just checking I hadn't missed something. <laughs> so we're taking a break, a slight, I suppose a slightly forced break today from Matthew to consider Proverbs. So I'll ask you to leave that passage open. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. We pray you would give us understanding hearts, that we would be, as Jesus said, wise in that we hear and that we do what you, you tell us to do. Help me to explain your word clearly. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How do we make choices? day by day in life. Many decisions are habits. What we have for breakfast, where we go for a walk, whatever we do <laughs> through the day, a lot of it's habit, isn't it? But what actually guides what we do? We hear talk of good decisions, of wise decisions. We can look back and say, yes, that decision I made was good, or that one wasn't so good. You hear lots of people talking about Oh, I wish I bought that property because you know, prices went up. Or why did I sell that? The price, you know, all those kind of things. Sometimes we regret a decision we make, and we'd rather have decided otherwise. So, how do we decide things, and how do we decide what really matters? And what what are those things that really matter? Well, today we're looking at part of the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom. A book that deals with much of the stuff of life. And it's helpful in looking at this book to look just a little bit wider, to look a bit further back, 
to put the book in some context. Back to the early chapters of Genesis, where we read of God having created everything good, including man and woman, and including creating a special place for them. There in the Garden of Eden, God gave them instruction on how to live, how to care for the world that God had made. He gave them wisdom. Yet, as we read on from Genesis 2 to Genesis 3, we see that a massive problem developed. Adam and Eve rejected God's word to them, the word not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And part of their temptation was that by disobeying, they would become wives. However, the deadly consequence of choosing rebellion was to be thrown out of the garden and to live in a world under God's judgment, cast out of, their special, of God's special place for them, living with death, with sickness, with sin, with broken relationships. And that's where we find ourselves now, how we find ourselves, in a broken world, in a world where wars break out, where we struggle with floods, where we struggle to make sense of the things that go on in our lives, where we are inclined to ignore God and go against what He says, where we make a mess of things. Yet as we read the Bible, we know that God didn't leave things like that. He's acted to bring us back, back to Himself. Initially, we, we see that in the Bible through promises made to Abraham, promises that in Abraham's descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then we see him rescuing Israel out of slavery and God committing himself to them that they would be his people and he would be their God. We see that he gave them his law, his people Israel. Some details on how they were to live as his people, how they were to love God, how they were to love one another. And we read that they, in doing this, they would be wise. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6, we read these words that Moses said to Israel about the law. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. As we move forward, further forward in the Bible, we get to Solomon, king of Israel, son of David, also a king. And Solomon, as he's being inaugurated as king, made a, a request to God, a prayer, that we read of in 1 Kings chapter 3. And in that prayer, he asked God for wisdom to govern this people, to discern between good and evil. To be wise in administration, in making judgments, in governing. For a wise king, a godly king, a faithful king, would be good for God's people, Israel. A good king like this would lead Israel in God's ways. The book of Proverbs is a book of writings attributed to this king, Solomon. We read that in chapter 1, verse 1. Now as we look in the early part of Proverbs in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 1, we see that wisdom is 
greatly to be desired. But it's also something learned, something required by everyone. Everyone needs it. And it is something that guides us. So just reading verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1. It says, To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So to be wise begins with the fear of the Lord. And that really means acknowledging Him, who He is, our need of Him, His words, what He has said to us, acknowledging that we, He has made us, and we cannot make sense of life without Him. We need God. We need His wisdom. In fact, we cannot truly have God's wisdom without first knowing God, without being in relationship with Him, without turning out from our rebellious ways to trust Him. Now, Proverbs are common um, in many cultures. Short sayings, we mentioned one before, look before you leave. Some say these are a condensed story. They, as verse 6 says in chapter 1, they, they can be riddles, they can be things to puzzle over. The meaning is not always immediately obvious, and it usually points to some wider concept. So as Ella helpfully helped us understand, look before you leap can mean thinking before you do something. So they're often catchy sort of phrases that may stick in our minds. And Proverbs um, is slightly different. It's not the sort of lock before you leap format, but it's usually a two or perhaps three line format. So here are a couple. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offences. It's usually one thing and then another. Or chapter 16 verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We shorten that one and say pride comes before a fall. So as we start reading Proverbs, we see there are lots of references to my son. And you might start to wonder where do I fit in? Um, so chapters 1 to 9 is teaching aimed at sons. King's sons in particular would need this instruction. We live in the present reality, as they did, of foolishness, of sin. So there were dangers for a son to avoid, to be a faithful son, to be an Israelite, indeed to be a king. From chapters 10 onwards, there are many sayings, generally of these, the two-line sort of format. So how are we to read the Proverbs? We are not Israelites. And as we read our Old Testament, we see how foolish Israel was, turning away from God, suffering the consequences, eventually thrown out of their land, and then brought back as God's promise, but without all the blessings that God had originally promised them. As we move on to the New Testament, we're of course introduced to Jesus. And he um, presents a contrast to 
Israel, as we've seen already in Matthew's Gospel. So a couple of examples. In Luke chapter 2, verse 40, concerning Jesus' early life, Luke records, <clears throat> The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. Filled with wisdom. Or a little later in that chapter, in chapter 2, verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favour with God and man. And then, as we talked about with the children in Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks as the wise teacher. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. He is the wise teacher. Jesus is God's son. He is the truly wise king who always submitted to his father, God. He is the righteous wise king. Where Israel failed, where her kings failed, Jesus did not. And we also see in the New Testament, particularly, that God's wisdom is not like man's wisdom. So I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, where Paul writes these words. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus, God's Son, crucified, looks foolish to so many. Richard Dawkins is a very clever man, but he scoffs at the idea of a crucified God. We would ne never think of doing that, I don't think. Yet that is what God has done. He's allowed his son to be crucified so that we, undeserving as we are, might be forgiven for our rebellion against God. That is the wisdom of God. And so Paul says, Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. Indeed, in Colossians 2.3, Paul can say that in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The truly wise person then submits to Jesus Christ as Saviour and Lord, as God, as the source of wisdom. The truly wise person listens to the words of King Jesus. How then are we to read the Proverbs? As wise words of God the Father, trusting in Jesus the Son. We can read them as we trust in Jesus as sons and daughters of God. In in Christ and consider how they teach us. So let's turn to chapter 3 verse 1 to 12. 
Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, so you can be... Don't despair. <laughs> Extended introduction. Let's quickly look at this passage. As in much of chapter one, chapters 1 to 9, it is instruction to a son. And we see as we look through this passage that the odd-numbered verses urge an action and the even-numbered verses outline an outcome or a blessing from God. I just want to pause a little bit and say, as we read this on the rest of Proverbs, <clears throat> there's this undercurrent all the way through that there's a pull in, the, in another direction. So it's always urging, get wisdom, get wisdom. And it's like, you idiot, get wisdom. <laughs> um, why the need for this urging, this imploring? Because we're naturally inclined to be foolish, to be rebellious, to think that we know better than God and to ignore the wisdom of God. Do you know that? Do you, do you consider that you've ever made a foolish decision? I know, I certainly have. Um, and maybe it's only by God's grace that some of them weren't disastrous. So the urge for wisdom is because our inclination naturally is to be foolish, to ignore God. So let's look at quickly at this passage. The actions, let's look at the actions. Verse 1, don't forget the teaching and commandments of God. Verse 3, let steadfast love and faithfulness, so we let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Steadfast love and faithfulness are commonly spoken of concerning God and the way he acts towards his people. We read that in the psalm, the start of the service. In Exodus 34, verse 6, God abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. So he says, bind them to his neck, reminding himself of how constant, how faithful God is in his love. And so acting in that way towards others. Verse 5, trusting the Lord with everything he has, with all his being, submitting his understanding to God. It's not that he cannot think or evaluate or work things through. He can do all of these, but he's to recognise his dependence on God, that he needs God's instruction. Verse 7, humility, submitting to God, turning from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. Have you ever read a section of God's word and thought, no, that can't be right. No, God can't do that. And if we are reading God's word and reading all of God's word, I think that will happen. It certainly happens to me. What do we do at those points? Do we say, no, I'm going to reject that? Or do we say, my understanding's wrong? There's something I don't understand about God that I need to understand. Lord, teach me. That is humility. That is approaching God's word humbly. That is not being wise in our own eyes. Verse 9, honouring God with what we produce, with our wealth. Now this was a requirement for Israel, it was in their law, in Deuteronomy 26 verse 2, that the first fruits be brought to God as an offering. Don't withhold it. That's what he says. And verse 11, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. How does it come? How does the discipline of the Lord come? It comes in the events of life. 
So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 actually quotes from these verses that the Lord loves the one he disciplines. So discipline may come in suffering. That's not to say that every uh, hardship is linked to specific sin. It means God does use hardship and suffering to teach us, to discipline us, that we might grow in love and trust of him. That was the word to the son in Proverbs 3. Don't despise hardship. Learn to trust God. Learn to grow in godliness. Learn to turn from wickedness. So what are the outcomes of these actions of trusting God, of listening to his word? The outcomes are presented in terms of blessings of God to his people, Israel, in the land promised by God. So you see, verse, uh, verse 2, long life and peace. Uh, verse 4, favour and good success in the sight of God and man. Words very similar to those Luke wrote about Jesus. In verse 6, straight paths. Paths made straight by God. Trusting God leads to a clear way ahead. Verse 8, healing and refreshment. Verse 10, full barns and vats. And verse 12, confidence in the love of God through trials. What are we to make of these blessings? God may indeed give us physical blessings. We know from the lives of Jesus and the apostles and the early church, and indeed Christians down through the ages, that being Christian often leads to persecution, to difficulty, and suffering, and even death. So the New Testament does not focus on these immediate blessings of um, full barns and backs, but on enjoying relationship with God now and life with Him forever. It is, it, is, it is to this blessing that we look. It is this blessing that is promised to us as we trust in Jesus. We are looking to bodies made new as we meet with Christ, to all the wealth there is in knowing Christ, and seeing all this entails in the new heavens and the new earth, as well as for us now. So we can take heart of the instructions to sons in this passage. Are we trusting, leaning on the Lord's wisdom, honouring him with what he's blessed us with, rejoicing even in his discipline? God graciously gives us instruction through all the Bible, particularly through Proverbs, that we may learn to be wise, that we can make wise decisions, even in the difficulties and uncertainties of life. It starts by trusting and leaning on his son Jesus and it continues by learning from him. So, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Verse 18, she is like a tree of life to those who hold her, to those who hold her fast. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. May we day by day hold on to wisdom, hold on to and trust the wise King, our Saviour Jesus, and continue to learn from Him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your wisdom in creation. We thank you for your incredible wisdom in the salvation you bring us through Jesus Christ. 
We pray indeed that you would grant us to grow in wisdom as we grow to be more like your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen.